0: Good morning. It's joy to be with you here this morning. It's joy to be a part of a church uh, where many of us have an opportunity to preach God's Word, to teach. I'd like to thank Pastor Samuel for this opportunity to bring you God's Word this morning. I'd like to thank uh, Brother Ryan for his sermon last week. Um, unfortunately, I was not able to be here due to a, a family illness when you have five sons Sometimes these things happen, and and, and I hate not being at church on Sunday morning together to worship, but through the power of technology, I got to listen to Brother Ryan's sermon. And I say that because I want to remind you all, we do have these MP3s, and they are a blessing. Um, When you need to hear the Word of God preached, you know you can go, and there it is. Um, And and Ryan, I don't know where you are, there you are. Um, I was almost late to a meeting because I could not stop listening to your sermon, and it did help with traffic, too, might I add. Um, I was satisfied in the Lord. Uh, thank you, brother, for your faithfulness. Um, as Pastor Samuel said, my name is Samuel Echevarria, and uh, I have the glorious joy of preaching God's word to you this morning. Some of you know I'm from uh, originally from Brownsville, Texas, uh, on the border by the sea. That's our official tourism motto. Um, and so the sea holds a special place for me. Not in the way you think I don't like the sea I don't like the ocean. I grew up 20 minutes away. I spent Weekends and summers at the beach, but the ocean held a special glorious fear for me Um, We would go deep sea fishing and invariably I could not go out on a boat without getting sick and So I started to not enjoy the sea and then I watched Jaws the movie, and that sealed the deal for me. As one YouTuber said, the sea is the house of the shark. (laughs) If you go into it, it might put you on its plate. So I didn't need much more at that point, Uh, but I'm actually captivated by stories of the sea because when I look out at the sea, I see God. I see the glory of God in creation, and yet I fear it. I don't really want to step onto the sea. I don't even like swimming because you can't drown if you don't go into a pool. <laughs> but there are many wonderful stories of the sea in the Word of God. And they are so poignant because, unlike the wilderness of Judea from last week, the sea is not hard, the sea is not stable. The sea can be calm one moment. And a tempestuous storm can arise at any minute. To me, the sea personifies our lives. Everything is in control. Everything is doing well. It's great even. And one phone call, one email, one mention, one stubbed toe later, one Lego brick naked foot event later, the world has come crashing down on us. And so for me, the sea holds a special place. I'd like you to turn to me to a very important story where the sea is involved. Um, if you would, please, this morning, turn to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. For those of you using a pew Bible, that, uh, that, uh, these, cha- these verses are f- found on page 839. 839. Let us go to the word of the Lord this morning, and let it be. For our hearts and our minds. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning that your word is open to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and hearts to the power of your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here we have a wonderful story for us to learn from. But before we jump into the story, let's take a step back and remember where we have come from. It's important to understand the context of this story. For Mark has opened chapter by chapter, verse by verse, something important about who Christ is. In Mark chapter 1, Christ is presented as an adult. And Mark reveals the authority of Christ step by step, bit by bit. In Mark 115, we see Christ saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Christ begins his ministry by proclamation of the kingdom of God. And this proclamation comes with authority. Authority over unclean spirits and over disease. We see that in the healing of a leper. And the response to this authority by those who see it, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 27, is this. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And in Mark 2, Christ is now shown miraculously healing outward physical disabilities, a paralytic, and he also speaks that he has authority over sin itself, In chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, speaking to the scribes, Jesus says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And in Mark 2, we learn that Jesus is Lord and authority over human traditions and the Sabbath itself. And in Mark 3, we see this passing of this authority to the disciples themselves. In Mark 3, 14 and 15, we read, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And here we get to Mark 4, where Mark relays the kingdom of God teaching in parables. The inbreaking of God's reign into the hearts of man. The parables summarize the effects of an inner change of man, those who worship God, from small seed to visible fruit. And this teaching with authority is drawing the multitudes hungry for this new experience. And as is often in the gospel, according to Mark, this teaching authority also comes with display of power, natural and supernatural authority in Christ. And now we arrive at our text for today. And I believe. Mark would like to present an important revelation regarding the extent of the authority of Jesus. Let's consider this story a little more closely. In doing so, I'd like to help us with three points to guide our walk through this text. Point number one, Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. In verse 35 through 38, we read, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. This Jesus is in the boat. And these disciples in one boat, and we think this was one boat it was possible that all the disciples could have been in this one boat because archaeology has shown us that this boat could have fit about 15 people. And there were other boats. But this boat was crossing the Sea of Galilee to the pagan side of the lake. And here Jesus is presented in human pictures. Mark wants us to see the full humanity of Jesus. First of all, Jesus has preached God's word in the flesh. Jesus has done what you and I might be able to do and that is speak of the coming kingdom of God of the reign of God in our lives And Jesus like a popular speaker is sought by men It's at this point in mark that we get more and more of this sense that Jesus is drawing people to him The multitudes are coming so much so that we learn that Jesus has to get into the lake To get away from the crowds They're probably like me. They think there's a shark in the Sea of Galilee. And he is in a boat, and others are in their boats. Everyone is doing what they can to find and be near this Christ. And from this text, we also see that, as Jesus told the disciples, let us go across, they left in a hurry. They didn't make preparations. They left as they were. This was a movement of men to deal with other men and women who had been drawn to the teaching of Christ. And, of course, we see Jesus is in the boat, and what is he doing? He's sleeping. I know I don't get enough sleep, but I do sleep. And I know some of you, especially you college students, you probably don't get enough sleep. You should. But it is something that we all share with the human Christ. Jesus slept. We sleep. Jesus was exhausted from his ministry, and he needed to sleep. And everything is calm, and we hope the story ends well at this point. But we know that the situation quickly deteriorates. And what is interesting is this deterioration causes stress. It causes panic among a group of fishermen who were well acquainted with the Sea of Galilee. Well-traveled men who had fished in this sea many, many times. This should have been a safe place for these fishermen And yet something happens. It becomes unstable. It becomes dangerous. It becomes perilous. This windstorm, as the verse says, was great. And the boat, the real issue here, by the way, is that the boat was filling with water. That's really when you know that there's a problem. I'm not a fisherman, and I don't like boats, but I do know this. If the boat sinks, that's not good. And so this storm was not able to be calmed nor to be avoided by these fishermen. They were sinking, and they were in trouble. And, but Jesus is in the boat, and yet he's the only one who has not seen nor recognized this danger, for he is asleep. And so verse 38, we get the first words of the disciples in Mark. The first words, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I don't know, those words sound a little harsh. Uh, This is where the disciples first speak in Mark. This is the first word that Mark decides through the power of the Spirit to record. And at first glance, these words do not seem very kind to a sleeping Savior, they do not seem very charitable. They even sound accusatory against their teacher and Lord. But it is more likely that they are words and a question in distress. There's a question that is asking for an answer. It would be if I ask someone while I struggle to hold on to a heavy load, don't you care that I'm about to drop this? It's not a very good way to communicate that all you're actually saying is please help. But in the moment, They woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples believe they are going to die. And amidst this storm, they seem to have forgotten everything they had seen and done in the presence of Christ. They had seen him heal. They had seen him with authority over demonic forces. They themselves had participated in the power of Christ. And yet, here they are, seemingly at wit's end, believing they're going to die. But what a contrast here. And this story is full of contrast. The storm is crashing. The waves are filling the boat. Chaos in the storm and a sleeping Christ. There, the divine is in the boat, sleeping peacefully. And this storm, I think, is a storm that would call us to recognize the peace of Christ. Do we, when the storms in our lives, when we are torn by the storms of life, do we recognize that Christ is there? Do we recognize that He is next to us, able to give us His peace, calling us to release our burdens to Him, to give Him the fear and anxiety, to be fully satisfied? In him. In the boat with Jesus and the disciples are their doubts, their sin, their fears, and their desire to navigate the boat with their own power. I'm sure at first, when the storm rolled in, they said, We, we, we know this, we can do this. And as the, the reading of, of the first chapter of Jonah shows us, those sailors also tried on their own power to get out of the storm. But even more importantly, from this little picture, it's not that do we forget what God has done. Do we forget the glory of the work of the Lord in our lives? But are we ever tempted to think that God does not care? Are we ever tempted to think that God has turned his back on us? What little faith we have, if that is true. For unlike the disciples, we have seen the risen Christ. For those of us who have repented and believed, we know that Christ will never forsake us. We know that he is always in the boat with us, no matter what storm comes. And this is an incredible picture that I pray will hold on to you during the storms of your life. Mark would like us to see the authority of Christ in an even new way as we move through this story. Point number two. The word of God is in the boat. The word of God is in the boat. In verse 39 we read. And he awoke and rebuked the wind. And said to the sea. Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Here Mark's climax the story. And opens our eyes and hearts. To the most incredible of truths. That Christ is the word of God in the flesh. With full authority. And full power. All of creation and life itself is under the power and dominion of Christ, the Word of God. The full power of Christ upon creation is hinted here. He rebuked the wind and sea just as he rebuked the unclean spirits. Just as he rebuked the demonic forces, Christ has complete power and authority over nature itself. His full deity is on display soon after his full humanity. What a wonderful contrast. Christ is asleep, and the next thing you know, he is telling the storm to cease from human to God in an instant. I wish we would remember that. I wish we remember that, that in an instant, we can call upon the Lord, his full deity and the scriptures are clear on this point. Nothing in the universe was made without Christ. We read in John 1. All things in the universe are sustained through Christ and in Christ. Colossians 1. Life, eternal life itself, is under the authority of Christ. John 17, 1, 3. Christ prays for his disciples and he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh. To give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word of God is in the boat. All this is accomplished through the powerful word of Christ himself. In Hebrews 1 we read, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And just as God calmed the storm, In Jonah, Christ calms the storm in Mark. And even the Old Testament, we read in Psalm 107, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them in from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. The word of God preached from the Old Testament, read from the Old Testament here, is standing in the boat, full power, full authority, in Psalm 106, we read: God says of the Israelites, Yet He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. This word of God is exactly what you and I need during the storms of our life. I love John 16:33. I have said these things to you. I have said these things to you that in me you may have. Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart indeed, brothers and sisters. Guests and visitors, take heart indeed, because the great windstorm of verse 37 is now followed by the great calm of verse 39. You see that? Jesus will bring full calm and peace no matter how. the storm rails no matter how much the storm waves are against you you can depend on and you can be confident in that the peace of Christ surpasses all understanding and will never be prevailed against by the storms of life the power of the word of God over nature do we ever fear things and people that God is sovereign over do we forget the miracles in our lives The work of God in our lives. I love Brother Ryan. He preached last week. During David's distress, David remembered the Lord. And when we are anxious, we become forgetful of the Lord. And after we state, why did I not just pray, remember the Lord, and trust him? We should always turn to the written word of God, meditate on it, pray over it, rejoice in it, and be satisfied by it. It is more precious than gold, more powerful than any sword, more important than food, and is pure and perfect in its pointing to Christ Jesus, the living Word of God. But who is this Jesus? Who is this Word of God who has overcome both the storm and the world? How has the Word of God overcome? Because, point number three, the Son of God is in the boat. The Son of God is in the boat. Verse 40, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Yes, Christ, full authority on display, full authority and power over creation. He is the Word of God in power, and He is the Son of God in person. This event has captured their attention much more so than any previous miracle of Christ. The disciples have become comfortable, maybe, with the work of God in their midst. They had become comfortable with their own power. They were giddy with what was happening. And all of a sudden, they realized something important. That when their life, lives are in danger, they turn to God the Son of God, for an answer. Jesus challenges the faith of these men. At this point in history, they lacked the faith. They needed to truly see Jesus for who he was, the Son of God. Fear and faith are set against each other. Fear and faith are set against each other. Brothers and sisters, you cannot have fear and faith in the same space. You must choose one. You must choose one. It is clear. This great storm is followed by a great calm, but now there is a great fear. Now there is a great fear, much like the sailors in Jonah chapter 1 respond in verse 16. Let me read verse 16 to you. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. When you see the Son of God in the boat... There is a great fear. There is something to focus on. The disciples were beginning to recognize something new, a power from God like no other. This reminds me of Luke 5.8. Peter, after seeing just the miraculous catch of fish given to them by Jesus, and the boat was starting to sink, replies, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognizes in the power of Christ something holy, something that is from God himself. For you see, here is the problem. Mankind has rejected the authority of God. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we have inherited a corrupt nature that is bent on disobeying God and his word that would have us obey our own authority. Jesus shows us that the forces of nature which can never be tamed or controlled by mankind they nevertheless obey the voice of their creator. But when what can tame the storm of the sinful heart? Only Jesus can. Only the Son of God can. To bring us peace with God, Jesus had to do more than merely speak. He had to do more than merely calm a physical storm, he had to die. He had to die for our sin and rebellion the son of god became our sacrifice so that all who turn away from their own ways and turn to god by trusting in christ for salvation might be given a new life a new heart and they themselves become sons and daughters of god and one of the wonderful signs of this saving faith in christ is that it produces a new obedience that comes from this faith we read in romans 1:5 and most importantly, with that obedience also comes peace with God, Romans 5.1. Do you want peace with God? If you do not know Jesus Christ as the Son of God, if you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Him and shed your fears of this life and the eternal judgment to come, you will not have peace with God. But the free offer of the gospel is here today and I pray that you would respond if you do not know this son. And if you would like to learn more, I would be happy to talk with you or other brothers and sisters would be joyously praising God to share this gospel with you in this church for we love the son of God and we preach his glory. The son of God is in the boat and you know what? This is exactly what the entire book of Mark is about. Mark one one states simply the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark would take you on a journey. At the end, you will see the Son of God in full glory, after His resurrection. How do we respond, believers? How do we respond to our Lord and Savior, the Son of God? First. Christ must be the center of our entire lives. So often, as I've said to many, God is in a box. Christ is in a little red box by our nightstand with a piece of glass in front that says, break in case of emergency. Some of us have little boxes. Some of us have very large ones. And yet, We do not put Christ as the center of every part of our lives. Every role that we have, every relationship that the Lord brings us, is Christ the center. Every moment of our day, when there's peace and when there are storms, is Christ the center. Is He in the boat? But we must not just leave Him in the center, we must give Him authority. There is a difference between being with Christ and giving Him the authority over you. Please, believers, commit to letting Christ rule your hearts. It is something that the Spirit makes possible, and yet the flesh would have us resist here and resist there in our lives. We must also respond to the Son of God with full awe, full worship, we must, in great fear and trembling, come to the Son of God and worship. For what happens after the Son of God departs and Mark, The disciples begin to share Christ with the world around them in response to what the Son of God has done. With full awe and full worship, I will tell you that means fully committed to sharing the gospel with the world. We would be disobedient as believers if we did not commit every morning to ask God, Lord, please allow me to share the glory of the Son of God with someone, beginning with my own heart. Will we commit to that, church? Will we grow in this commitment? We covenant together to hold ourselves accountable to this, Let us take it seriously. Let us do it joyfully. And let us remember that when we do, Jesus calms every storm. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning for many of us here, maybe all of us, are beset by waves on either side of our hearts. Lord, we all know that there is something that has filled us with fear, with nervousness, With uncertainty. Lord, this morning I ask that you cast these waves down by turning us back to you. Let us see you for who you are, the Son of God. Let us see Jesus for who he is fully God, fully man. Christ who knows every pain, who knows every temptation that is common to us, and yet did not, did not sin. Lord, now you call us to be holy. You call us to turn to you in every storm. And Lord, we pray that we would do this with full confidence that even though we may stumble, you will not. Even though that we may grow weary, you will give us the strength to continue to run this race. We pray, Lord, now that we would finish well as so many of those who have come before us have. We praise you, Lord, that you give us pictures of a life of peace both in our own congregation and throughout the history of the saints. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.